<laughs> if you already know Drake or you already been on Drake's TikTok or his lives or his Sunday Zooms, which will be once a month now. <laughs> Did you know? Now you know. <laughs> you know whose voice this is. It's Shan from She Gets It Pod. So while you're listening to Everything Culture with an A, not a die, check out She Gets It pod all right i know i'm the one with the little boo me on there that's me all right new season new season 22 giving y'all encouragement motivation and a real insight in the things that i think about on a daily but i'm saying them out loud to y'all so check me out on she gets a pod on your favorite podcast app and also find me and the rest of my podcast on shambypodden.com. Now, I hope you're enjoying this show with everything culture. Hey, Drake. I'll let you have your mic back now. Bye. What's going on, beautiful people? It is your host, Drake, the Drake with everything culture. And we're back with our CPS series. And today we're going to do a brief discussion about Department of Family Protective Services, or better yet, CPS, Child Protective Services, in the state of Texas. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking. As I mentioned before, that I've worked with CPS for close to two years, fresh out of college. And throughout this series, you're going to be hearing from judges. Shout out to Judge Schneider and Judge Wren, as well as you're going to be hearing from caseworkers, family members, foster parents, fictive kin, as well as service providers throughout this series and if you'd like to tune in or you'd like to join us please do so the best way to do so is by leaving a comment like and rating on anywhere that you may listen to us on spotify itunes apple podcast to youtube and to engage with us on any of our social medias from facebook tiktok instagram and twitter but let's get into it so CPS or the Department of Family Protective Services. Now, this may go on go under different names in different states. I've heard DHS, DYCS, DCS, whatever it may be called in your state. Some of these things may be a little different, but they're usually the same. They're going to be called different things once again, but they're usually the same type of departments. So, but let's talk about the state of Texas. You know, I'm hailed from the Lone Star State myself. So we're going to be talking about, once again, the Department of Family Protective Services. And a little bit about the Department of Family Protective Services. Um, it has a mission. And the mission is to promote safe and healthy families and protect children and vulnerable adults from abuse, neglect, and exploitation. The vision of Department of Family Protective Services is improving the lives of those they serve. And they have several different values that I know they try to stick with and that to be accountable, be respectful, be diverse, collaborative, as well as be professional. We have our values here, our pillars, everything, culture, respect, communication and consistency. And I must say, I built some of my values from working at the Department of Family Protective Services. Um, and once again, 
no entity is perfect. CPS or the Department of Family Protective Services is a people system and people are not perfect. So this system is not gonna be perfect. So with that being said, we're gonna to touch on the different points of the system and how they may operate. But in the future, we'll have more episodes of discussions about more specifics within those. But I'll repeat this throughout this video. So within the Department of Family Protective Services, a DFES, you have Adult Protective Services, Child Protective Services, um, child Protective Investigations, as well as the CPIs. And you have prevention and early interventions and statewide intake. Statewide intake is when you make the phone calls or reports for CPS or APS. Prevention of early intervention, those are services such as juvenile services, uh, family care, or try to prevent anything to deal with uh, future involvement from the state. And then with CPS, of course, it's Child Protective Services, 17 and below. And I believe Adult Protective Services is 18 and above. So with those, those being said, I worked myself. I was at CPS. I remember applying in college, what I was gonna do next, cause I wanted to help out in the community and I couldn't do APS. I was, I was raised by my grandparents and my grandmother had Alzheimer's and my grandfather, he went from having full able-bodied individual to I'm seeing him go to a walker I mean from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair to the bed and I just couldn't see people I I, I would have more of an intake I couldn't handle doing APS so I said I was gonna work with kids that's the future so let me work with children so I went to child protective services but what do child protective services look like you know we have um four different departments of child protective services and that's investigations, family-based safety services, conservatorship, and adoption prep. Now, investing, and I try to put these in order for everyone to see, but investigations is usually when you hit the front line, okay? You're the first one out of the door. You're the front lines of CPS. Um, and with being an investigator, you have a lot of responsibility. I joke around quite a bit. Shout out to our investigators. I couldn't do it. Oh my goodness, it's it's a lot. It's, it's a stressful job. Um, shout out to once again, the ones that who can do the job and do it well. I, I say all the time, if you can hug a caseworker with their permission, do so because it's a great need. Um, when I was working at the department, um, and once again, this is an intimate conversation with y'all. This is not only educational, but this is real. But I see caseworkers just break down and cry. And the majority of caseworkers I saw break down and cry were our investigative workers. And they're, once again, being the front lines, once the call is made, it's a statewide intake, the 1-800-252-5400 phone number, though they have to go out and do that investigation. That's their responsibility. And they have different time limits. Some may have to go with a P1, which is in 24 hours. Some may go within a P2, which is in 72 hours. And they must make a recommendation or a determination of their, if there were abuse or neglect in that household and when it may have happened. So um, 
you know, and that's going through their investigation. If so, they determine whether the parents are willing to be or willing or able to adequately manage those threats to keep the children safe. Even if abuse may have happened or neglect may have happened, are the parents equipped to take care of the children? Um, is that something that can work with? They, you know, may offer services that address the problem, but they may also refer to another department uh, or program within CPS, which is family-based safety services, but we're not there yet. So when they got, when the investigators go out, once again, frontline caseworkers go out and do that investigation, it, it, it really may vary on the type of experience they may have or with the family. Okay. It may be somebody may work with them they may open a door um the children may be able to communicate effectively but honestly some of these caseworkers they go through a oh my gosh a three-month training that majority of caseworkers go through basic skills and development training but still a lot of these folks are fresh are new if they've never seen anything like this before it's quite a bit of adjustment to any other type of job you know it's quite a bit of a learning curve let me tell you that but when you're going into investigations you want to be mindful of the dangers in the home you have to make sure what to look for not just what you may feel like it may be dangerous but you have to get on that child's level or that whatever the age mean you may be working with and see what is going to be harmful or possibly signs of neglectful as well and as well as communicating with the parents and knowing their support system but throughout your investigations you have to have time to make your how do you say disposition that's you got to make your disposition and you have usually five different dispositions you're going to have with the investigations you're going to have reason to believe ruled out unable to be determined, unable to complete and administrative closure. Reason to believe is quite simple. There is case to reason to believe there are abuse and neglect to happen in that household. Throughout that um, investigation, the evidence has, weighed, evidence has been weighed in and it's likely that more likely than not the abuse and neglect has happened. But you have options here. So if it's reason to believe should your children be removed from the household? And that means that child is going to go into conservatorship, which we'll touch on in a moment. Or should that child go into family-based safety services? That means that child will stay in the home, but the state will provide services to try to keep the family together because the family may have shown the ability to care for the children. Or should it be ruled out? Meaning that the staff determines that it's reasonable to conclude that abuse and neglect has not occurred on based on the information that's available. Mainly they don't believe it may have happened. So they ruled out abuse and neglect. Unable to determine. That, that's one of those where the investigation have been done, have been completed, I mean, and they really can't tell if abuse and neglect may have happened. Now, this is kind of tricky because the next couple, especially the next one, they go hand in hand, but unable to complete. Unable to complete is quite a bit simple as they were not able to complete the investigation, meaning the family may have moved uh, or been difficult or did not want to participate in the investigation. So long story short, the investigator was not able to do their job. And yes, they have parameters to complete their job, but 
you know, it's not easy. If I said it before, it's one of the most difficult positions I would say at the state of Texas. And then you have administrative closure, meaning the inter intervention was unwarranted. Something may have happened where they're like, hey, we're going to close this out because something may have came up that shone light or shine light on the investigation. So they may move from it. So those that's a little bit about investigations, what they deal with. But once again, they have to go to court if they would like, for instance, going back to the reason to believe if there was an attempt to remove the children, they must get permission from the court within 24 hours of removal or before the removal. So that is something that have to be done. They have to create something called an affidavit and bring that affidavit to the courthouse and testify why these children need to be removed out of the parents' custody or the caregiver's custody. And, you know, that could be a little bit of a battle at times, you know, on, on either side. But if they decide, let's say, hey, we don't want to remove the kids, but we believe that abuse and neglect has happened, but it's not happening at this moment. And we want to see this family. We always want to see the family be successful, but we believe this family may need services rather than removing the children from care. And that is when we go into family-based safety services. And family-based safety services designed to maintain the safety of the children in their home. Mainly, you ain't got to take them. Keeping the family intact. That is the ideal goal. I love family-based safety services. There are some of the sweetest people, kind-hearted, really try to give. Um, unfortunately, every, every parent may not need to have, well, I tell, I say straight up, let me speak with my bravado. Every parent does not need to have their child in the home. Some of these children need to be removed. I know people want to look like, you know, CPS the big bad, but there's some sad situations I've seen in life that um, in this work, in this realm, in this field, that these children should have been removed a long time ago. And these, the family may have been recommended to family-based safety services numerous times. And with family-based family safety services, they provide parenting classes. And they pay for these services, too. The state the pays county. They may help assist with food stamps. They may assist with um, daycare, tr um, transportation, counseling, therapy. I've seen family-based safety services step up in numerous ways. You know, even though I feel like it's appropriate, I've seen people, you know, they help pay certain bills if because sometimes it's just stress. Sometimes they just get caught up with life and they just need a little bit of support. So I don't think, I, you know, once again, I don't believe, I believe family-based safety services is a great resource. And I think it's to continue to be supported and to continue to grow. But I want to be mindful that even when they're having a service, even from family-based safety services, they recognize is at times that the children may need, or not only the children, but the family may need more support or need actual removal from the home. And that's when we go into what I used to do. Dun, dun, dun. Conservatorship. So conservatorship, AKA substitute care, AKA CVS, AKA, whoo, it's time to go to court so with conservatorship that this is something that it's this is where the the court gets, gets involved okay when the children go into foster care or relative care and things of that nature mainly the parental rights are now being 
how I say, is now being petitioned. Man, it's a legal suit versus, it's basically the state of Texas versus said parent. All right? And, or parent or parents. Let's put be clear about that. Um, conservatorship, once again, known as substitute care as well, is CPS work with the courts and communities to find permanent homes or other places for the children to live. And this is usually start out being temporary. Now, I'm going to do a, a different episode talking about conservatorship in detail and how the court cases may go, because this could take some time. I'm trying to keep these within 30 minutes, by the way, y'all. But conservatorship, once again, I was doing this for some time. Even when I left the state, I still worked ideally within conservatorship as a guardian litem or a CASA supervisor or a child advocate supervisor. And this was the type of things that these are the type of things we are dealt with is dealing with kids that's been removed from their parents. You're still working with the parents while they're working their family plan or service, which are tasks and services for the parents to complete to alleviate the dangers in the home for the children to be placed back with them. And while they're in substitute care, meaning the state of Texas is the primary managing conservative for this time or the temporary managing conservative for their time, they still have to find someone to care for them throughout the time while they're going to school. It's like, that's mean they're going to be either in foster care, which is a stranger that never met them before in life that usually completed um, certain trainings and preparation to care for children, especially on their level of care, which we're not going to talk about right now. We're going to talk about in the future. Um, we're going to discuss kinship care. I mean, we're going, they also may have a kinship placement or kinship care. That means that's a relative. That means someone that is biologically related to them. Okay, that's an aunt, that's an uncle, that's a grandparent, that's an older brother or sister, cousin, someone that's biologically related to that child. Then you're going to have a fictive kinship or also known as volunteer kinship now. You should know a specialist fictive kin. Volunteer or fictive kin is when someone that is not biologically related to that child or children and they're known as a caregiver they may or may not go through foster parent classes just to be prepared to receive services but they can do so but it may be a former babysitter maybe a daycare worker it may be a teacher but mainly someone that knew that child prior to them to knew the child or knew the family prior to that child coming into custody with no biological relationship to that child then we have um, our residential treatment centers, our RTCs. Those are like foster homes, but are group homes. Those are large group homes. Those are more like campuses for children. Um, we're going to talk in the future about more residential treatment centers as well. And then we have extended foster care. Those are for our young adults, 18 and above which from 18 to 25, they're able to continue to live with those foster parents if the foster parents choose to uh, allow them if the child would like to stay there or the young adult would like to stay there. And then we have our, excuse me, permanent managing conservatorship. And with PMC, <laughs> this is the process we must go through before we go to the adoption phase. And where the child may be placed, they may be in place in one home throughout the full duration of the conservatorship phase and once again the conservatorship phase is usually a year to a year and a half that's the average or the ideal amount of time that they have on placement and that child can either go at the end of the conservatorship phase they can go back with 
the parents they can have a modified custody where they may go to one parent rather than both or vice versa they may go with that family member to be adopted or that fictive kin to be adopted or they can go into adoption prep and adoption prep or when they have permanent managed conservatorship that's when it when the parental rights are terminated once again, we're going to talk more in detail about that in the future, but when, when the parental rights are terminated, which is like the death penalty for a parent, that is, you know, pretty heavy work. There's some, some people, I don't think that understand the gravity of termination. And I can say this now, and I will say it later that that's some of the, one of the struggles I saw quite a bit being a caseworker that the parents did not take the cases seriously at the beginning they i guess they felt like it was a slap on the wrist and they really lacked on working their services and when that happens when they get to the trial date they are okay y'all they realize okay y'all are stopping my business with my kids and we started looking towards other homes and when a caseworker started being a little bit more distant than working services with the parents they become a little bit more okay now i'm ready and it's kind of like well kind of working towards other ways to get your child placed somewhere else now and that that's one of the difficult things about being a caseworker um that phase right there but it's really working towards the best interest of the child at the end of the day that's why but that's just a little bit right there but while that child is in conservatorship they will receive services as well as the parents who receive services um through their family plan the parents have their family plan of service the children have their child plan of service but that child will receive medical services. They have something called Star Health, which is a statewide comprehensive healthcare system that coordinate the healthcare and improves the access to healthcare for the children of all ages in the state custody. Meaning if the caseworker switch, if that child is placed in one foster home uh, for, the, for one year, they have to move somewhere for three months with a relative, they have like their own Medicare system which it does not come out the pocket of the relative or the foster home. So that is a great resource to have. Um, something they focus on that the state is focused on more that it always can be improved. Once again, this is a people system, so it's not going to be perfect, but child education. Um, they have a team of education specialists um, that really works towards the child's education and schooling to remain top priority. And let me tell you, education is key. Uh, and once again, when I have a little bit more time to get into detail with our guests, make sure to check out our episodes with our judges, our attorneys, as well as with our caseworkers. One thing these kids receive, um, what they do not receive is a lot of stability. And when they go to school to school to placement, when placement to placement to school to school, it's difficult for them. We have to make sure when these kids are placed in schools, um, they are looked at first. They're not put in the back of the class. And I put to the side that we need to make them a priority because I don't care if they're in preschool or a senior in high school. We need to treat them as a priority to make sure they have their education to have the ability to be successful in the future and how be a graduate or being successful anywhere else. And we'll talk in the future more about the um, the tuition waiver as well, even though it's a great resource. A lot of children or young adults do not take advantage of it. Then CPS, all, well, conservatorship also works closely with the juvenile justice system. That's a placement that I try to avoid my kids going at all times, but I've worked with these courts and these 
judges attorneys quite often and they learn how cps work with the tjjd that's the texas juvenile justice department and even they have a program that it's like it's like a dual i think it's like a dual i can't think what it's not a dual citizen of course but it's like a dual child that that child may be in juvenile justice and cps and we try to make sure we provide services and resources that that child can be placing somewhere more permanent and suitable for their care and their needs but let's get to i jokingly say this but i do say this um one of the easiest or the fun ones i would say compared to the other um departments or um programs and that is adoption prep or adoption preparation Uh, permanency is key hands down either it's back with the parents or with if with someone else permanent management conservatorship mainly just represents the state has sole custody of this child and the parental rights have been terminated. That that creates a child is no longer a legal risk, meaning that child could be placed for adoption. And once this is involved, we want to make sure this is a successful process. These children went through enough in life. You know, the case where this is going to be another switching case workers usually, y'all. Um, this is once again, it's going to go to a different program. So if we go from start to finish, if a parent may have went from investigations, family based safety services, conservatorship to adoption prep, they have a minimal, that's a minimum of four different caseworkers. Okay. Four. I want you to know that. But in CPS cases, adoption prep, uh, adoption becomes an option of CPS and the parental and the child's parents cannot resolve issues that's made it's unsafe for the child to live at home okay then cps may ask the court to end the parental rights once again get that termination uh, make them available make them no longer legal risk a child can also become illegally free to adoption if both birth parents agree to give up their parental rights meaning uh, relinquish their rights um but once again, when they're able to go into adoption this way, the goal is to find them a forever home. Find them couples or find them single parents uh, or people that is willing to adopt. And I'm, I'm going to have to bring some people on. We're going to have a conversation more about adoption in specific too, because this is a resource that you have adoption agencies, but you still have CPS. And CPS or Department of Family, Protect- um, Family Protective Services offer many resources for the people who may want to adopt, especially family members. Oh, if we can get a family. Family, I'm, I'm, I will forever be, if the family is safe and the family is protective, I will be family first. I will be family first until that family shows me otherwise. And that's how CPS operates too. But we have to talk about how some of these judges and some of these attorneys do not see the same. But adoption is the legal process through which a child joins a family different from his or her birth parents. Adoption is a permanent and lifelong commitment to that child. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I'll tell y'all stories in the future how I've had people to adopt. And once the adoption is complete, once it's consummated, once it's, hey, sign, oh, everybody, you need to change this baby name, everything. Months later, you know what? I changed my mind. No, no. Now, guess what? CPS is involved in you because that was your child. Ugh. Ugh. 
did I talk to, you know, the next video we do this in a couple weeks, I'm going to talk about the different types of abuse and neglect. We're going to go into detail about that. But right now we're going to keep it just about the departments and programs at DFPS and Child Protective Services. But I want to say thank y'all. You know, this is something short, something sweet. Just give y'all a little, a little quick update what we doing. You know, the next episode, we will be having our, some of our CPS workers come on to join us. And, you know, we're going to keep it light. Now, once again, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. You can find us at everythingculture.com. You can find us at, hold on, give me a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find us at 832-800-3176. Once again, at our phone number at 832-800-3176. And you can just hit us up in our DMs. IG, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. If you have any questions or any suggestions, which we would like for us to share. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to make sure to make a little slide about this. This is not representation of the Department of Family Protective Services. I am not a CPS worker. I'm no longer an employee of the Department of Family Protective Services. This, not, this video, these clips do not represent the state of Texas. This is no partnership with the state of Texas. This is the will and these are the words of Everything Culture Podcast. Hopefully, and if you'd like to find more information and more in detail, please go to the Department of Family Protective Services or dfps.state.tx.us. Once again, that is dfps.state dot tx dot us for more information and detail even though we will be coming back with statistics as well as more information but i want to say thank y'all so much for tuning in thank y'all for listening thank y'all for supporting and it is drake or be drake with everything culture and i have to leave y'all with our mission statement and that is the words from the great late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And that is, he believed that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because of segregation. And because of segregation, we have miscommunication. So we created this podcast on the pillars of respect, communication, and consistency so we can get to know each other, so we can love one another. I want to say thank you all again. God bless and peace. <laughs>